0: Welcome to the 1080 Outdoors podcast. It is our this will be our first edition of our turkey series. Um, in this episode, we are interviewing jury outdoor member Sean Lundy on some different tactics, mainly including blind tactics. I'm joined here today. We are we're recording on March 10th. This interview took place about a month ago, I think, and we are together today planning our nebraska turkey hunting turkey hunting trip and our south dakota turkey hunting trip and just getting some content stuff wrapped up so join with me today and we're gonna do a little rundown before we start sean's interview is weston and jed how are we doing today guys
1: i'm doing better than weston uh i have been better but jed is doing better than me
0: what's your biggest problem right now Weston. Me? What's my biggest problem? Yeah, you said you've been doing better, oh. so what's wrong? The biggest thing is, whenever Jed shows up, he just treats me like a douchey older brother that I never had. So I kind of like it, but I also hate it.
1: Yeah, see, I never had a little brother, so I got to you know, I'm almost 30, so now I might as well have a little brother. Beat him up and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I am only 24, and he is old. My, uh, my other problem <laughs> mainly is the uh 3 more inches of really wet heavy mm-hmm. snow that we got overnight and I'm just over that whole scene. Yeah. <clears throat> broke, we are broke my shovel.
0: But we do see an end in sight. <laughs> Wednesday this week in Wisconsin, Eight. it's supposed to be 48 and Thursday, I think. Yeah, pretty much Thursday. So, I'm I'm predicting that a lot of this is going to be gone by the next weekend. So, the following weekend after next weekend, so 2 weeks out now, we will be heading to Nebraska. Nebraska. So Nebraska's season opener is 25th. March 25th and we head out the 23rd, which is a Saturday. Yeah. Yep. And Weston will not be attending this trip. No, I will not be. Um I have a limited time of vacation and anyways, <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today since we talk about it um in this podcast is some of the blind tactics we have um what i guess jed you can start off since maybe talk a little bit about having a trad bow in a blind do you think this year you're going to get away and do more natural blind setup and stay out of the blind or do you
1: like having a trad bow inside of a blind Mm, i mean i guess i would prefer to make my own when time yeah you know allows and and there's decent building materials to be found but I mean, as far as just versatility, you can't hardly um, not at least have a couple along with you, you know? And um, just like um, as far as different blinds go, the Primos uh, double bulls are for sure the most um, conducive to longbows that I've ever used. Um, Instead of having, you know, like the Ameristeps and the the big mics have just, you know, weird windows. The the Primos double has the uh, the slot that yeah. wraps around. You know, we're not.
0: I don't foresee us using anything different in the near future unless something happens. But I know Sean talks about the muddy blinds in this podcast, and I I would agree with Jed. The Primos just as that 180 view and then now they have the 360, which I haven't, we haven't, we don't have one of those yet. Um, but there it'll definitely come. So it's just the biggest thing with me and blind is that anything that doesn't obstruct your eyesight that much. So all the old blinds have those multiple windows in them and I can't stand them where these, these 180 blinds open up and all you have is a couple of bars, um, kind of hurting your vision but it's so much better it's not even funny so yeah we we do use blinds out in nebraska quite a bit due to um it being early season we're going to be hunting with bow um, huge flocks that we're usually dealing with so we're dealing with a lot of eyesight um, but there also is a lot of uh, cedar trees and different pine tree mixes out there that we can literally get inside of and that's i think that's the beautiful part about having a trad bow is your versatility where you can set up the different uh angles you can take a shot at you, you can be down in a low crouching position and come back draw back all in the same motion you don't have to have like the, the perfect form it's a little easier
1: a little more versatile you yeah. it's tough shooting it without you know like i'm much more accurate if i can be standing or down on one knee yep. versus you know the weird twisting of the body but that being said it's you know way more possible to do that with the uh, with a trad bow versus the uh the compound yeah you can't be bending at the waist shooting compound no yeah. i mean well right No.
0: well you could but the, like if you're but you can't you like cant the bow right you can't cant the
1: bow you can't yeah. be twisting at the waist yeah. and be, you know bending and twisting Bend and snap. Remember that movie? Uh, legally blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our biggest thing with blinds is honestly the decoy setup. We stick
0: blinds out in the middle of fields and stick a nice flock or at least a couple decoys out there. And we've had tremendous success the last couple of years doing that. Um, generally, we stick the blind high high spot in the field. Uh, I know some people kind of get worried about the blind being skylined. Honestly, my biggest thing is if, if we... Create enough of a gap from where a turkey is going to come out, see the decoys, accept the blind being there at just a hay bale or whatever they think it is. Just give them time. anything Anytime you surprise a turkey and like set it on a knoll where they're going to come up over and they're going to be within 40 yards and all of a sudden a big blind couple turkeys are there, it's the same thing with uh, setting your decoys up. Just set it on the high spot of the field, give whatever's coming out a lot of time to adjust to it and then they're going to get locked into the decoys and as long as there isn't any stoop that are bothering your life so i should take that out i don't know i don't i mean i don't know maybe leave it i'm sure juries wouldn't appreciate that um so yeah anything else you guys
1: want to add on blind setup um big thing is uh i think using the right stools in them you know, like, a lot of times we got three guys in a blind. And Taylor le- and, and I aren't small. And let's face it. No,
0: let's face it. I count as two. <laughs> at least.
1: At least, yeah. Um, so, like, when it's just Taylor and I in a blind, it's a little, you know, we can we can be we can be lounging, have some nice big comfortable chairs with armrests and stuff, but once, once the third guy is introduced to the blind, you really got to downsize the chairs. Yeah. I think. For sure. I would agree. Especially seeing as being the smallest guy, usually I'm the one who's pushed into the corner the most. Yeah. The biggest thing is
0: the camera guy should probably have a small chair and seated in the middle.
1: Middle and back.
0: Yeah, shoved to the back corner, middle, and then the other two, like the two, if two people have guns or whatever. But the, the main shooter's or whatever, the right-handed guy should be on the left side of the blind, almost facing the middle of the blind, so you have that shot covering that whole 180-degree opening in the blind. Um, So what's what you guys looking forward to mostly in the next couple weeks coming with spring here?
1: Shed hunting, anything like that? Hopefully we just get some snow to melt off. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the melt. I'm looking forward to getting to Nebraska. I'm sick of... uh... Sick of being here, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I didn't spend a full weekend in my house, er, like s- sleeping in my house, from the middle of August till December. So, it's been a long stretch of being at my house. <laughs> I've Got to get the hell out of here. Out of too there. much work for you too. Yeah, yeah we're looking
0: forward to it. Um, just uh, housekeeping notes for everyone listening. Monday. So it would be yesterday that this was released was our first episode of pursuing the strut. Um, those will be coming out every Monday. I think we'll have eight episodes. Tuesday will be the podcast release. Wednesday will be a um, some type of content video, most likely how to videos. And Thursday will be probably our recording of the next podcast or a different podcast on the road on Facebook Live. We're also going to be getting on Facebook Live a lot and updating throughout the year our hunts. So just keep making sure you like face making sure you like our Facebook and just keep following along with the podcast and we'll be keep keep giving updates throughout the year. And enjoy this interview with Sean because he's a wealth of knowledge and obviously just being any type of affiliation with Drury Outdoors is pretty impressive and we're happy to have him on here. So thanks for listening and enjoy the rest. Anything else, guys?
1: Nope. Weston. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you. All right, now joining us is uh Drury Outdoors member Sean Lundy. Sean, thanks for joining us.
2: Appreciate it. Excited about being on the show.
0: Yeah, how you doing today, man?
2: Good, good. Just another day. But now finally cold weather's finally, so it's maybe a little too late for what we needed during the season, but I think it's here for good now, so
0: Yeah, we're kinda experiencing the same (laughs) stuff. Um. Obviously, we appreciate you joining us. We are huge fans, watching you throughout the Critical Mass experiment with you this year. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to just kind of talk to our viewers, I don't know how many people, for sure, watch that show. Uh, where are you from, and uh, where do you work at, or what's your day job right now?
2: Um. Actually, from uh, northeastern Indiana, and my day job is well, sometimes day, sometimes night, but. I actually am law enforcement and I'm attached, uh, working as a narcotics officer with a federal task force. So, but I actually started back in the day in the corrections part of it and kind of worked my way up from there to a regular road officer, um, just routine patrol. And then went to a state task force working, um, undercover for a state agency and then little by little made my way into a federal task force. So right. enjoying the ride, it's pretty excited to, I mean, some days can be kind of slow, but then some days can be just wide open. So, <laughs> definitely, definitely a good
0: job. I enjoy it. Yeah, and that's what that's what uh, initially got me to reach out to you. I think last year at some point, and um, we're obviously we love bringing any law enforcement on here as we give um, part of the proceeds that we make to law enforcement agencies or uh, people that have lost their lives in the line of duty. Um, but, yeah, no, thanks for your service, man. We appreciate it. No,
2: no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's uh, definitely something I enjoy. I actually originally was uh, born and raised on the East Coast, New York. My whole family's still out there, and they're all um, uh, prior military and law enforcement, firefighters, etc. cetera. So uh, little by little, I kind of I knew hunting was – I mean, I hunted growing up, but it was. Um, we would travel once a week up into the Adirondacks or Catskill Mountains in New York. And, uh, you know, I just – from there, once I, I actually served – Military in the Marine Corps, and when I got out of there, I told my parents. I said, "I'm, I'm gonna try to get somewhere involved in law enforcement, but somewhere out west, so I can uh, chase whitetail on <laughs> yeah. a more daily basis."
0: So, I've heard, I've heard really good things about New York, though. The hunting there is underrated, considering the only thing that Midwest it's very underrated. Yeah, Midwest people um, always think Long- of just a city. A- absolutely, Long, Long Island,
2: um, New York, is if it's really a kept secret and sorry for all you long island guys out there but uh, it's it's some of the best bow hunting in the country i mean it's you know it's just finding those spots but so many people they think new york and they just think the city you know but right. um, realistically the adirondack um, up there it's one of the biggest um you know federal forests and and programs in in the u.s but you know new york when you think of the city it's such a small small area compared to
0: the bigger parts so so what'd you, what'd you grow up hunting up there mainly? So you'd go up, how far of a drive okay. was that for you to get to that forest? Um, I'd say from my parents' house, they live on Long Island,
2: uh, uh, probably about three to four hours. Most of the time we would, uh, we'd head up north up by Poughkeepsie and we'd do a little bit of pheasant hunting and rabbit hunting and stuff. But most of the time when we were out there, we did a lot of waterfowl hunting, shooting plenty of bufflehead and magansas on the Long Island Sound. And then the rest of it was deer hunting up in the cat and Adirondacks. Uh, schools We were mostly around Monticello when we were in the Adirondacks. We were up by Essex County and stuff like that. So, but I still go back there a few times a year. I mean, it's where I cut my teeth, and I whenever we go back, we always make it a point to go out and believe it or not, is great offshore fishing too over
0: in that area. So, really, what's your main? What are you hunting for back there nowadays? What was that again? (laughs) What are you mainly hunting for back there nowadays? Same when stuff. I go back there, it's basically just to um, see the family.
2: We do a lot of fishing and stuff like that, some uh, waterfowl hunting. But most
1: of the deer hunting, um, actually,
2: my dad and brothers, they actually travel Midwest. Uh, me and my wife, we own a small small farm down in southern Illinois. And uh, realistically, a lot of the um, – that's how it's kind of different to some of the other people that I'm made in the industry. I actually hunt very small tracks of timbers You know, here in Indiana, I've got, you know, access by just, you know – bailing hay for farmers or doing whatever the case may be just helping out it's so hard to get on leases yeah but you know i hunt a whole bunch of little you know 10 acre tracks or 15 acre tracks and in that 15 acres there might only be three acres of standing timber you know and the rest is crops and so you know i I, with that being said I, i travel a lot especially being on the team now you know trying to network with different people and just get in there and try to get it done on a long weekend you know i'll take a a Thursday off and travel all all day Wednesday. on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, half a day Sunday, and get back home to the family and work.
0: So, right, yeah. So, what is it? So, you, the Critical Mass show that you were on is part of the juries, and you're part of the DoD team. So, kind of explain Correct. to everybody what that what that process has been like for you to get in with them, and what it's like now being a part of the juries.
2: It's it's um. I mean, ever since growing up, uh, back in the day, uh, well, a few years back, juries did a little. A thing on me on YouTube called uh, Task Force Turkey and kind of explained how I, I made my way to to juries um, but now last year before Critical Mass came on Matt Jury gave me a call and asked me if I would want to be part of that show also and it's it's been overwhelming in a good way to say the least it's to be around there I mean to this day being on the team for a few years you're still you still get a little timid, you know, and you're in awe when you're sitting around Mark and Terry and you hear them talk about Whitetail. I mean, Mark truly is a madman when it comes to that. He, he he's got the white tail, you know, genetics running through his blood. It's you know, it's definitely I, I sit back a little bit and kinda, you know, pick their brains and stuff like that. There's so much you can learn from it. But um I'm very humbled and blessed to say that we used to be chosen to be on that team because you know, a lot of the guys, you know, they do have big farms and they're such big buck hunters, you know, and realistically, you know, I've never been known to go out and, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to knock down, you know, multiple boomers a year, you know, and so I think when they brought me on, it's just the, the everyday guy, you know, I was hoping that the, the viewers at home would, you know, appreciate that or how would they look at that, you know, and just putting it all together and, The first show went pretty good for me. I actually was able to be picked fan favorite, which was, I can't thank everybody out there who voted. I mean, that was pretty awesome, your first year on a big show with juries and to get chose for that. But I think I brought back some of the the everyday stuff that, you know, us as hunters and the majority of the people out there, you know, and and, um, and I still try to, to, to keep it real when I'm out there hunting and everything, because realistically... Yes, I am on the team, and I'm very blessed to be in this position, but I'm like 99% of the people listening out there right now. I mean, that's me. You guys can do it. It's I don't, you know, hunt for a living, say I have a, a normal job, you know, me and my wife we got five kids, so I'm just out there, and, you know, if I get a mature deer, you know, it's, to me, it's not about the score, you know, and I, I try to keep the, the humor and, and still the kind of tradition alive when I'm out there in the woods. And, uh, it's gonna happen one of these days when I do put down a booner. It's like, you're gonna know about it because 'cause I'll probably be there on tears. <laughs> so <I'm kind> of <laughs> of, uh, yeah, it. It's just I, I, if I'm out there and, and I'm hunting and a you know a doe walks out, if, if I made my mind up we're not gonna harvest a doe today, it's no big deal. But in the back of my mind if I say hey we're gonna go out if we get the opportunity to harvest a doe we're gonna and when one pops out I mean I lose it you'd see the the leaves in the tree shake and I just I get all tore up but I mean that's why we do what we do you know so definitely great overall being part of juries it's more of a an extended family I mean I've never been around a group of so many people in the industry that are so welcoming When you know it's open arms it's it's like grabbing a whole bunch of uh, you know extended brothers and sisters out there, and it's, it's just one big family.
0: So definitely a great experience, and I hope it lasts a while. So. Yeah, and it, it really shows that, too, on the shows and all the videos they make. And um, and they, they run a very successful business, too, not not besides the point. Um, and it's cool. Yeah, Coondog's Coon an active law enforcement officer, too, isn't he? It's cool that
1: he's yeah, there. Uh, Coondog
2: actually, he um just retired he hasn't even been in official year of retirement so and as we speak he's actually uh grinding him out over in western illinois right now so awesome but yeah he, he retired right before the season started so
0: that's perfect timing <laughs> oh
2: yeah oh yeah but he, he's got his handful he's got a new grandkid that uh you know just
0: came so he's enjoying being a grandpa and everything too so right well congrats to him Want to message him on instagram absolutely so yeah, mainly what we're doing right now is we're going to go you're the you're our first guest of the spring going over our 12-part series of turkey hunting. So our first turkey hunt related question is mainly where do you do most of your turkey hunting right now and and which states your favorite place to hunt?
2: Um Mike, believe it or not, I, I I own a little bit of ground in southern Illinois and the turkey hunting in southern Illinois is great. And in my mind there's a lot more birds down there, but as far as action, up here in northeastern Indiana, it's kind of a, you know, a place that not many people think to go out and be able to pursue turkeys, but it's one of the best places. I've been hunting them for about 15 years. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's birds in your face 24-7. I think part of it is because, you know, a lot of these other states, your big turkey states, you know down south and even Kansas, Missouri and stuff like that, they, they've been hunted for a while, you know, and the birds are uh, educating each other. And, but here in Indiana, a lot of the birds that are being hunted, you know, we're still, we're still killing some 27, 28, 29-pound birds. I mean, those are huge uh, Easterns. So, but you know, so a lot of them are real old birds. But as far as I, I would say the majority of my hunting is done uh, right here in Indiana. It's a, at this time, it's a, during the spring, it's a one-bird state so uh i'm pretty blessed to have the the areas that i do hunt like i said they're not very big but mostly um if you can get out there and you can get them roosted at night i do a a lot of my roosting and a lot of my blinds um uh, sets i'll set them up at midnight one o'clock in the morning i'll I'll roost the birds (laughs) yeah I'll, i'll go ahead and roost them watch them go up but instead of trying to put the blind out in the morning if you get in there quiet enough and that's, that's a tip that I actually learned from a bunch of the guys on the team. You know, I'll go out there and the kids love it because it's, you know, if they don't have school the next day, it's, it's one of those there. They, they, they want to be part of the entire hunt, you know. So right. we'll maybe go back, sleep for a couple hours. We'll set the alarm. I'll, I'll wake up at, you know, 11, 1130, get out there at midnight, uh, go ahead and pop up a ground blind, which is not only great for the adults, but it's great for children. I mean, you hide your movement. And sure enough, if you can get in there quiet enough, because usually in the evenings if you bump a bird' they'll, you'll usually bump them from one tree to the next uh, if you get in there early in the morning and you bump them uh, they don't like to but I have seen them they, they will they go fly down and you know even though it's an hour before dark you, sometimes they'll go ahead and try to roost again but in the evenings if you're if you're little especially with kids and you're not as quiet if you bump a bird you're only gonna bump them from you know maybe 30 40 yards from where you're actually trying to set up so
0: I've honestly never even thought about that before. So is that that's something that you practice on a regular basis now?
2: Yeah, especially around here because um in in, in Illinois it's I think the, the birds are a little harder to kill, so a lot of times I'll I'll set different blinds up in different areas where um, known places where they're strutting or whatever the case may be. But here in Indiana, if we locate a bird or or multiple birds I and mean, there's a lot, a lot of big old long beards around here I'll go ahead and wait till right there at dark, and there's been times that, you know, just to, to make the kids, you know, get a little more excited about the morning, and, you know, like I said, I'm blessed up to hunt one of those places that if we mess up on a bird, I mean, you got a good chance two hours later to capitalize on another one, but we'll go set them up at midnight, and every once in a while, I've, I've went ahead and had the kids slam a you know the car door on purpose mm-hmm. at midnight, 12.30 in the morning, and them birds, they'll sound off. I <laughs> believe it or not, they'll Uh, It's just if a shot gobble is what it is, but it's completely, you know, definitely held our percentage a lot higher doing that. We're lucky enough where we usually do tag out every year, but for the most part, we do it pretty early when I started setting the stands in the evening instead of going out there because, you know, if you bump a bird for the most part, and I've hunted them a while, you you could kill that same bird, you know, a few hours later, but he's going to be shy at least in my experience in that location yeah but if you go ahead and you bump a bird in the evening i mean he really you know doesn't really know what's going on but i, I hate to say they forget about it but sometimes i really think they just forget about it the next morning
0: yeah well i don't don't claim to be the smartest animal in the world <laughs>
2: no, no no and that's the one of the things about you know, so many people have told me it's how i guess realistically it's you know they, they feel like they're doing everything right but it's not working i've I've done everything right before. You know, I, I guess the biggest thing i say is don't give up. I mean, people are I know so many people are trying to get on their first bird, and they get out there, and they, they do a few calls, and, you know, that's it. It doesn't happen. Well, I've been out there some days and had the worst calling because I'm a big friction guy because as far as for a mouth call, I just – you don't want to hear me blow a mouth call. It's not very good. My, my son now, he's 10. He's actually phenomenal with um, – diaphragms with the, the whole nine yard. He's just, he's on point with it. But realistically with, with mean stuff, it's, you know, i I've seen some of the worst calling and you get the right bird and they'll just, they just come running in. There's no stopping it. You know, you can make all the mistakes in the world and you end up harvesting the bird. You know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. But um, the biggest thing would be just to, in my mind is to stay still. You know, if you are on a place where you do find birds and they're not as pressured as much, I know a lot of people that they'll hunt till about 8, 9 in the morning, you know, and they're in there for a couple of hours. And, you know, they're saying that they're calling and they're hearing birds, but these birds aren't responding. So they pack it up and they leave. In, in my experience, 80 to 90% of the times, if you've got a bird that's calling back to you off the roof, he's coming down, okay, he may come in. And that's the great part about getting out there every morning. It's like with turkey hunting, it's like opening day every day. You know, it's like right. even though you're, you might be hunting birds that you busted the day before. It's it, They do forget, I think, a little bit. So the next morning, you're back on the same birds. Well, if they're calling to you early season, if they're up in a, in a tree, I mean, you might have four or five toms roosted, and they, they might have 15, 20 hens with them. Well, when they come off that roost, they're they're breeding them hens. And every time early in the season like that, them toms, they're, they're calling. They're wanting you to come to them. So realistically, uh, when you're calling, you're calling, a lot of times the best thing to do is to just shut up. Mm -hmm. Once they know you're there, stop the calling, and you'll see about every 30, 40 minutes after that, you'll hear those same toms fire up. And in my mind, what I think it is, they wanna see if they're still there. Because once they're done breeding that group of hens, them hens go off, they lay an egg, well them toms, they're out looking for every bird they can get until it comes time to fly up. So the majority of the time, if I've got birds that are in the area and I see them with hens I I get pretty excited because if I wait long enough it never fails 10 30, 11 o'clock somewhere in there then Toms they'll, they'll
0: just appear out of nowhere riding along right in the decoys well that is the thing with with, with blinds too It's just <laughs> I always tell people if you really want to, if you really want to kill a turkey you can you can just sit in a blind and, and at, at some point they will appear mid-morning. Personally, I don't have enough yeah. patience. Usually, we end up running, yeah. running all over and chasing yeah. them across the hillsides, and then seeing, seeing a strutter at eleven a.m. right where we started the morning at. But
2: now, the, the the running and gunning that I mean that is fun, and it's my children who definitely enjoy that too. But as far as just trying to get someone on a bird, and if you have young kids, or even if it's you don't have as much time, or you don't have the patience, if if you don't think you're, you're going to be able to kill one off the roost, a lot of times sleep in. Head mm-hmm. out there at 9, 9.30 and try to slip into that blind in a place that you're seeing them strut you know, in the afternoons. And at that time, if you fire one up at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, a lot of times you've got a better chance on
0: killing that bird than when he responds to you at 7.30 in the morning. Oh, it's, old. it's, he's, it's he's, like 80%. for a reason. It's like 80 you percent. Know, probably absolutely. on the roost. Roost. It's probably like 10 percent. Mid midday. Yeah, one and, responds. Absolutely. absolutely. And I, I was on several
2: hunts uh, last year with uh, people that you know get trying to harvest their first bird, and we've we've had them on the roost, and they slide right down and they're out at that 50, 60 yard mark, and you know which the, some of the ammo we're shooting now that the long bearded Winchester. It's I mean that is more than an ethical shot, but, you know, there we are, we're calling, you know, I, I want to see him work the decoys, you know, mm-hmm. he gets excited and it's just little by little. And that's where you learn too, because every time we called, you could see he, he, he was fired up and he was responding. So you're trying to think about it. Okay. Now if this wasn't in a pasture and this was in the woods. This is exactly what's happened. I'm hearing him, but I'm not seeing him. And that's all he's doing is he's going off with them heads and it never fails. I mean, Right around after that ten thirty mark, boom! He'll appear back in a in a pasture. Or you'll see him somewhere. We'll give a few calls. If he cuts you off, then if it's after ten o'clock in the morning, and that bird cuts you off oh, nine that's... out of ten times. Just put the <laughs> call down, <laughs> get the gun up, and get the safety on. It. <laughs> you got a pretty good chance of killing it.
0: I know, and the times that it doesn't work out, it's like a it's like a knife to the back. Can barely believe it. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's one of two that I learned that from a lot of guys. Um, Stewart and Brandon Jennings, and them. it's, they've always said it. About that time where you're like, all right, you know, I just, this bird ain't coming. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't, and you wait 10 more minutes. Well, after you wait that 10 more minutes, wait 10 more minutes. <laughs> you know, it's, it, 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 it's happened a lot. You get out and you walk 50, 60 yards and there's, you know, two long beards coming up the hill with just
0: little by little coming in. Mm-hmm a lot of times, don't be afraid, just wait a little bit long, So, I, I think I know probably the answer, but what is the main decoys that you use? Uh, uh, ADX, that That's what we're using now.
2: I <laughs> love them. They are so realistic. I like the fact that, I mean, I could throw several of them in a carrying bag, uh, get them out there. The other good thing about them is, is yeah, technically they have air, I guess, in them, but it's not like if they're got a hole they're deflated because i've had plenty of spurs put through them i've had plenty of my kids put pellets through them <laughs> so they're, they're still rocking they're fine and um they're just a good durable
0: decoy yeah I and mean, that's what we use too just because it's i think price point and just how well they work it's just it's not yeah absolutely i mean and
2: really I, I, compared to a lot of the realistic um uh, looking decoys out there and they're having things going to these getting away from foam and actually going to the rubber decoys that look so realistic the price on them is that really not bad at all i mean there's some some decoys out there that are two two hundred fifty dollars and you could pick up you know multiple than maybe an x ones for you know a lot of the, the hens and even the three-quarter struts you can find them for under hundred bucks and it's you know they'll last you forever i'm still using a set for four years now and they're shot up, and to me, they look just as good as they
0: did as the first thing. I got. Yeah, I've had a couple for a couple, four or five years now, and they're they're still getting the job done. So when you are sitting in a blind, what is your decoy setup? Um, uh,
2: yeah, that's a, a debate that I you know, talk to a lot of people about. And it's, it, it, I I am lucky enough to hunt a lot of um, private ground, but with me, I most of the time I don't use. A lot of guys use. Uh, they will go with a full fan or a full strut decoy, and Avianex mean, has one. But I always go with the, you know, just the Jake and a couple hens. And realistically, because when when, when I'm turkey hunting, it's you know a trophy. I, I just I want to harvest a long beard. You know, it don't make a difference if it's eight inches or, or it's you know twelve inches, just to go out there and harvest a good long beard. But I think sometimes them full strut birds, it you might get that one bird that might have committed. Well, I guess to say I've had more birds commit on a jake than I have had on uh, a decoy that's full strut. However, though, when it does happen, if you have you know a full strut decoy out there and you do get the right bird, I mean it's a show. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's, I mean they're coming in and flying, it, and it's definitely something you need to experience. But yeah. my go-to setup is a jake and a couple hens.
0: Do you? Um... And usually to the point where the, the jake is kind of.
2: Um, facing away from somewhere. If I'm thinking of the time, if I, if I do locate them where right they're roosting at, I'll actually put the hens, maybe one looking back at the Jake, but kind of like they're walking away, and the Jake also walking away from. And the reason for that is that Tom will come up and circle in front of that Jake. And it gives you enough time to, to get the shot off, to relax, and it's not where he's just coming right in face first. So...
0: That's that's another big thing about decoys. People don't really mention very often is how much it lets you get away with too. It's the same thing with deer hunting too. A oh. decoy out there, it's gets their focus off looking around. They see what they want to see, and it's you I mean you can do jumping jacks sometimes. Oh, a- a- absolutely! And the ground blind—that's that, what's good about them. I
2: mean, you, can, you can get away with so much in it. And before I was uh, filming a lot, you know, I I had all the windows up. You know, I just little teen holes that you can peek out of. And, you know, now trying to, to, to lay down the best footage I can, I, I thought, man, it's, I'm, I'm opening up too many windows, too many windows. You know, the guys are like, you know, I even talked to Wade Robinson with, you know, Mark Cameron And he's like, open your windows. I mean, if you've got the, the right setup and you've got them decoys out there, it's, you know, I mean, don't open them completely. Mm-hmm. But you can get away with a lot more because when they lock in on them, they're so realistic looking. You know, and you can hear them when they come in. I mean, they're on the fighting purrs and everything else. A lot of times they are clueless. They're paying attention to one thing, and
0: that's the decoys. Yeah, we've gotten into that more filming, um, opening more yeah. windows up. What is the. Do you have a specific blind that you guys are using, or do you kind of just use it all?
2: Yeah, we, we use muddy.
0: Uh, oh, you use muddy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And actually,
2: it's that's another one. There's a lot of. um great blinds out there on the market you know i've used a lot of them but as far as uh the price too the muddy's got that uh, 360 out now that the windows they you can you can adjust them like a lot of the other blinds you know and it's not just uh muddy also has the other ones that have the you know you've got the window in front of you and the corner windows but they have the one now that uh, is phenomenal not only for turkey hunting but for deer hunting i mean you can kinda move you can adjust them up and down, you got the mesh, you can while you're in there, it's just very quiet. There's you know, you're not pulling velcro down. Once you have everything set the way it is, you can literally just slide and maneuver the canvas.
0: Yeah. So the big another big um, I guess you could say argument that people have is placement of blinds. Um we've we've kind of experimented over the last few years and have actually and it probably hurts us sometimes, but we sometimes put them right in the middle of the field. Um on like I, a hay strip to a corn strip exchange, but um are you are you brushing have, yours in, wood lion or No.
2: Um if I went when is it when it's with the turkey hunt? I I really don't. I, I never have had or really noticed as much. I mean there's times where it gets busted in and we've all done it, yeah. You know, even when you're waterfowl hunting. You know, I've done it with turkey hunting, too. You get out there in the decoys and you look back at the barn, and you're like, something ain't right. <laughs> you know, so they, they see something. What's that? But I, it doesn't, I don't have it happen that much when I'm turkey hunting. And like I was saying, it's, you know, I put them blinds out in the middle of the night. I could put it out in the pasture or off the edge of the fence or something. You know, and them turkeys know when they flew up. And roosted it even before. It wasn't better. And it, it, never, it never seems to pay attention, you know, or matter to them when they fly down which is another big point on why the decoys are so useful you know they're they're concentrating more on that and they're really not concentrating on now movement you know I, i've killed plenty of birds just kind of sitting up against a tree with maybe at the time the camo didn't match the exact you know tree or fence row that i was in but i mean if you stay still enough it's they're really they're it's that time of the year where you know it's the only time of the year they're breeding and they're thinking about one thing And they're looking for that, for that head and they're. but that's where it does help when you are on the ground and you're running and gunning. Yeah, it is exciting. It's a thrill, but you you get away with
0: very, very little movement. Yeah. No, I, I mean, we found the same thing. It's just, it's really the bird too. It's, it's, We've had birds come in where you could have been wearing a, a pirate costume or a blaze orange and it wouldn't have mattered. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And there's some where you can just tell they're on edge and you raise the gun and it takes about five minutes to get it up to your shoulder. But yep,
2: absolutely. Yeah, and that's a, another thing with me. Um, if I'm filming somebody and we're running and gunning, it's, you know, a, a lot of times it's, it's hard if, you know, if you're trying to run a box call or a friction call, and they are holding up at seventy, eighty yards, and they're looking at the decoys, you know, you're right behind them. You know, so being able to use a mouth call is another plus. I mean, I, 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 know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be good by no means. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, that yeah, that's a good point to bring. Me.
0: What do you, what do you do yeah. when they start getting in close there, and you're using friction?
2: If, if I'm using a friction, I'm in the blind. It's, yeah. Really, it, it, it's no big deal then, you know. um Nine out of ten times, when if they get within, I, I like having them, even just for footage reason. And then, even when I'm not filming, it's just good to. I mean, right there, it, I, I'll get out of my blind and I'll, I'll literally walk nine to ten steps from the blind, and that's where I place my decoys. And nine out of ten times, we're harvesting these birds right in the decoys. If they get usually within 30, 40 yards of the decoys a lot of times you may be able to do a little bit of fighting for this or that or just, just basic yelps, you know, I wouldn't really be trying to cut it up too much then. If they get in that close and they came that far, they're committed. I mean, at that point, breathe, relax, and just enjoy the show, really.
0: Yeah, it, and it, it calms and you down it. after a little bit, too, just watching them. Oh,
2: absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> now, with deer hunting, to me, it's, it's complete opposite. If a lot of people, it's you know, they say a deer walks out. You know, you have time to watch him come across that. Now, to me, I, I, I'm a lot better to, to hear the crunching of the leaves and the sticks and look down, and there he is. Because if I have time to think about it, um, really two things happen. One, I just absolutely get nervous. And by the time I see him, he's, uh, he's a 120-inch deer. Five minutes later, he's a 140. He's a 150.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, I end up killing this 180 when I get up to him. He's the 120 that I originally seen. But it, yeah. you know, I I just I lose lose my mind and, you know and again
0: that's, that's why we do it though yeah what's your main tip for my uh, co-host here Weston he actually had a turkey sit on a couple of avians last year at about five yards from the blind for a solid four minutes and missed a shot okay, well I didn't miss I just didn't hit it very but well I, I guess you know and I don't
2: it, you know, I hope too many people out there don't don't frown upon it as much but um, when I'm You know, if if I'm hunting and I'm using a firearm and we're out there and we're going to harvest one with the Winchester, I basically, and and I even tell my children this too, when you're, that's the one thing, when you're getting in close on those decoys and you're 10 steps away, those chokes are so tight.
0: Yeah. And so many people are are putting the pin or or that that little bead right on the bird's head. Yep. Well,
2: when it's coming out that close, it's... Probably a little bit smaller than a golf ball, you know. So you're almost trying to to, to harvest this bird with a slug. You're, you're that tight. So what I do is I I always come down when they're in close because the, the breast isn't actually as high up on a bird as people think. I mean it's kind of down below them. I put <laughs> the bead or the sight, whatever it is that we're using, where the feathers meet the neck, right there. Oh, and, for sure.
0: I, I, I mean if you. If you pull, you know, a little left, a little right, up, down, you're still, you're in the money. So. No, oh, yeah, for sure. That 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 is the biggest mistake. It's easily, easily, don't aim at the top of the head.
2: Yeah, and it's because it's, you re- realistically, you've got three different directions: up, down, left, or right, where you're you're done. You know. Now, with that being said, if you've got that bird out there, 35, 40 yards, you put it on the top of his head. I mean, your your pattern is going to open just enough where. There's more than enough pellets that are going to do the job, I and mean, then it's going to stone kill them right there. But if you've got them in tight in the decoys within you know, 10 to 15 steps, go ahead and just follow, follow it down with a with that neck. As soon as the feathers start coming up on that skin, that's exactly where I'll, I'll put it.
0: Yeah, for and sure. And it's
2: actually helped the children. I mean, their harvest rate is one up. I mean, almost
0: 100 percent at at that at that range. So. Well, maybe we should have you teach a lesson. <laughs> We should have you teach a lesson well, The lesson, like he's your child. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, funny, it's funny, too, because... Uh... <laughs>
2: from there's a lot of dairy farms so the birds they have to crush fences you know? so they're, they're they're coming under them and, and sure enough I, I told him I said hey when he gets you know right in front of us Cole I said go ahead and you know you're good you're gonna harvest that bird well, I, I at that moment I thought you know he was gonna come in front of us in the decoys and put on a show well he actually walked straight past the hens and as he's walking through the hens my son shoots it probably Mm-hmm. You know, and it was funny because just that morning, you know, he, he shoots a pump, 20-gauge, and I always put one shell in because I'm afraid if it rocks him a little bit. I don't want that second shell, you know, being ejected in. Or, And I, I don't give him as much credit. I mean, they've been around firearms their whole life. I know he's only 10, but he said, hey, Dad, can I put another shell in? And I actually said, you know what, I, I'm with you. Um, you know, I'm you're your parent. I'm, you know, you know good. I mean, even with the 20 gauge, I mean, it completely, those Winchester long beards, I mean, it, it just rolled them. Yeah. But it's just, you know, I, I guess with the, the young child not realizing, hey, this bird's going to be walking fast, how tight it's going to be. Yeah, I want you to shoot him when it gets into the decoys, but, you know, let, let's wait till he stops because realistic at that close, I mean, we're probably,
0: like I said, a little bit smaller than a golf ball size pattern. So, what happened? So here's. Here's an interesting question. I'm sure there's probably a thousand turkey kills that get inputted to jury from the DOD team. What's the selection process for them, and what happens to all the like? What happens to all your footage that doesn't get used? Can you do you turn around and put it on your YouTube or? As far as like all the footage,
2: you can talk about like us harvesting so many
0: turkeys. <clears throat> yeah, well, I'm sure there's thousands like, of turkeys get shot just on the DOD team members a year. They're not going to yeah. use them all. Yeah. So what they
2: do is like um. You notice, like like last year, they they have uh, multiple shows. So a, a lot of times, I mean, if it's a complete smash, you know, that's you know they may use for that, or they may use this footage for an ADNX next commercial or social media. But they also have the um, uh, jury's natural born, so which is another one of their shows. Uh, they'll use a lot of the turkey kills on that show, and they're also using a lot of them. And what they're going to be doing is. Uh, with the DOD TV, and which is a great thing. With that, uh, during the turkey season, they'll be having a harvest, and actually every, you know, I don't know the exact time frame, but a couple times a month, you'll be getting shows from actual harvests from that year, that season. You know, so you'll, you'll see the post and the possibility of Mike seeing that hunt
0: actually on the DOD TV on YouTube within just a few weeks. Right. Now, the rest
2: of the hunts, you know, they may use, like, for – a critical mass, or another show kind of leading up to how your season went you know and they'll you know on the pre-roll footage they'll have you going through there and it might show you know hey we had a great season we started off good you know it's turkey hunting and they'll go ahead and put it you know involved in that in a few minute clip so
0: yeah. but
2: yeah you're right we get a lot of turkey kills
0: a year so. i'm sure but what is the biggest thing you've noticed since you started working with juries like a storytelling of the hunt um, what's the biggest thing you've improved on in your filming? Because we're obviously big on filming. We run a production company on the side. and I, w- when you think you have enough footage, you, realistically, you don't. And, you know,
2: trying to, and Mark and Terry, have always said it the best, and they, they, they live by it. Th- these hunts truly are being produced for you guys, you know, the fans. And and they really strive on, on trying to lay down the best footage and to, to show the story to make you know people really feel like that they're there, and you know, every year I continue to, to learn from so many of the veterans that are on the team. But it could be the simple things of just when you get out of the truck, just walking in, you know, not you know, it's okay to you know start it from being in the tree and you have the harvest. But there's so much more that went to that. You know, when you're watching a show and you actually see them, you know, getting out of the vehicle or. If you try to even throw a little bit of drone footage in there that kind of shows you walking out to, to the farm or whatever the case may be, the littlest thing can can make and break a show. Or not necessarily make and break it, but really put one over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be something simple that have the, the cameraman, you know, there's times I'll, I'll run up in front of somebody because I know we're getting right across to a creek and I'll get on the other side of the creek real fast, and you're trying to stay quiet because you're, you're actively hunting. You know, you're getting ready to get to a stand, and you want to be quiet going in there, and you're, you're playing the wind direction. But I'll run up, and I'll get on the other side of that creek and get down low with that camera and, you know, get get the, the boots coming through the water and the splashing, and it. you, you don't realize it until you're sitting there and, and you actually watch a show. I have learned that. It's like back in the day, you know, you, you watch the hunt. But now that... You know, being out there and being an outdoor you know, film producer now, and trying to produce these hunts, it's—I look at it in a whole different mindset. You know, hey, that's kind of cool that, you know, that they picked up on that, or that's kind of cool that they—they they showed the lowering of the bow, or you know, a couple people last year I learned a lot. Now, um, taking that second angle camera, whether it's a, a GoPro, a Tacticam, a Garmin, whatever, and when you're tracking that deer, put put that camera out in front of you, mm-hmm. you know, hold it where you got the cameraman behind you, but film yourself because it's, there's, you, you cannot recreate pure emotion, you know, and to capture it, you know, <laughs> like you're right there as it's really happening, it, it, it can't, you can't beat it, it you can't top that, yeah. but, but I have noticed it's, you know, you how much goes into it, you know it, you know, you take a 30 minute episode and you've got the commercials and sponsors and everything else that go in there. Well, a lot of people think, well, if I get up in a tree, you know, and I film 15, 16, 17 minutes, whatever it is that you have, that's actual footage without the commercials, I have enough for a hunt. And realistically it, you don't, because if that's the case, all you're going to be showing the viewers at home is you in a tree and a harvest, you know, to, to be able to show the the pulling in of the truck, the getting out and to, to, Getting dressed, the whole nine yards, and what really kind of goes into that hunt, people can relate to that because they know, okay, that's what happens. You know, you you get home late from work, you're heading out there, you're climbing the tree, you're you got your hunt. It's on the whole nine yards. If you think it's something little and it's not going to make a difference, film it anyway. I mean, it, it could be a squirrel on a branch. It could be, you know, uh, turkey flying down. I've got a lot of footage this year of out deer hunting where I was excited because. We were getting ready to actually capture these turkeys going up to roost. You know, mm-hmm. here it's prime time, and I'm telling my son and my daughter, you know, pay attention. To see if something steps out into the standing beans. But in the meantime, I had the camera turned because it was kind of cool to catch, you know, these birds flying up to roost for the evening.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Well so, what is the what's the main camera you're using? I'm using a Canon XA30, which is actually a very small camera. Yeah. But it's it's very
2: compact, and it it. I run most of it, unless I'm actually turkey hunting, then I'll run it on manual, because you're trying to focus through, you're in the timber, and you're trying to focus through the sticks and the leaves. Most of the time, I'll run it on auto. Yeah. And the camera, these cameras nowadays are so advanced, you know, you really, you you don't need to go out and spend 50, 60 grand on a camera. I mean, you can, you know, get yourself.
0: That one's only two, that one's like two grand, I think, isn't it? Not even, maybe. Yeah,
2: yep, and that's, now, everything that's on it with the boom mic and everything else, right. and the uh, portable mics and <laughs> stuff, you might have a little bit in there, but if you want to get into just filming and trying to lay down the best footage you can, just get yourself a good, high-definition camera, but good quality, not necessarily, you know, top of the price range. And, yeah. I mean, I filmed the last three years have all, the majority of the hunts have actually been filmed on that camera. That's very, I mean, as long as you keep your lens clear, you know, i you know, I always keeping wipes and stuff like that and, and things like that. Now, that's the other thing. When you get into the winter, extra batteries. I can't yeah, tell you how sure. many times the cold weather sucks the batteries down. There's been times I was in Missouri last year, and I actually took hand warmers and stuck them up in the camera just to try to keep... The battery just a little bit warmer. When you start getting below that 15 degrees, 10 degree mark, a hey, 180 minute battery, you know, you realistically might have 70, 80 minutes in it. <laughs> that's it. And that's the one thing that uh, I've learned too. I used to leave my camera off. And when something would happen, I turn it on. Well, about the time something happens and you're getting excited and you got a deer, whether they're out there sparring or chasing a doe, it's too late. You know, so. We, we leave the cameras on. They just when we get in the tree, especially that last hour, hour and a half, the cameras on. All we're doing is punching, recording, and running our, uh, you know, our focus and stuff like that. But the camera itself is on. You know, so if you're out there filming and you're trying to capture everything, get yourself a couple extra batteries. Go ahead and, and leave the camera run all the time because it could be something where, and if you're trying to film it and you have somebody editing it, just. Make sure you punch that record. You know what I'm saying? Get the record rolling and get the footage. I mean, you you could, for the most part, try to piece what you can together. But if the camera's off, I mean, it it may take four or five seconds, which isn't a long time. But in the wild, a lot of cool things can happen in five seconds that you missed. (laughs)
0: So, you definitely want
2: to have that camera up and running.
0: That's true, because sometimes some of those cameras do take a little bit to get powered up.
2: Yep, so.
0: That's awesome, man. Um Anything else involved with turkey in that you want to talk about, or that our viewers should should know about from you?
2: No, I, I guess one of the things would be ha- have don't just have one call. Um, I have you know, and I I have a couple custom calls that I use, but it, and if you're gonna go with you know, if you're gonna go with friction, and to me, I use uh, a slate. Well, whenever I go to the turkey shows, the NWT, I think with that. I'll go around and I, I try to pick up different strikers. Just believe it or not, it, it could be. And I've had it many times before. And I, I'll get a bird to fire up, but he's only firing up when I'm using a, a certain striker. You know, it's just—I <laughs> you know, guess it's just that one thing that happens to attract that bird. You know, he's just into that sound. And that, you know, that's—but you know, a lot of people you get out there, and it's—that is something I have seen. If you get—I've noticed on certain farms or certain areas, if you're using the same call. It could be the slightest thing from three or four days of just having an okay hunt to getting there on the fourth or fifth day and just doing something different, just changing up a striker, and it's the birds respond hundred percent different. Yep. So always have if you're running friction. Have multiple strikers inside. So
0: that's that's great. Yeah, yeah that's I always try big, to get that, high that, pitch, that, low that, that, pitch, that, mid pitch. Yeah, that's the other big thing too. Don't don't
2: think you know it's. If you get in an area, that's the hardest part finding birds. If you can find the birds, and you can get within 200 yards of them, I mean, yeah, i like to get about 100. But if you can get within 200 yards of those birds, just and they're responding to you in the morning, keep keep going at it. You know, I mean, don't don't be afraid a little bit to get aggressive. We're all, I mean, it's we're I mean, there's some people out there that can literally, you know, and I did a post about that and about you know tag somebody that can call a turkey out of an oven. There's people out there that can do it. You know, it's they'll say, man, I've got a bird. I can't get on them. And you get some people that get out there. They're, they're going to bring them in. I'm not one of those people. I, but I'm one of those that I just, if I'm going to get on a bird, I'm going to kill that bird. I, mean, I don't care if it takes me a day, two days, three days. We're going to kill that bird. And the biggest thing I think that's helped me is when it comes time to wrap it up, 10, 1030 in the morning, no, we're going to stay. He's responded to us. He's interested to us for a reason. I, I've seen birds you call to. If they're not interested, sometimes they won't say anything at all. If you got a bird and you've got it fired up, maybe lay off those calls about 8, 8 15 in the morning and just about every 20, 30 minutes call a little bit. And that's it. Don't keep calling until you create a turkey to shop gobble. Just call and let it go. If it's the right bird, it's never going to fail. It'll be 10, 30 in the morning. You yeah. just doing your every 30-minute call, and he's going to cut you off. If that happens, try to go ahead and call again. If he cuts you off again, he's coming. It may take him a while because he may be strutting his whole way in, in and out of strut. But if he cuts you off twice and it's, and it's that
0: late in the afternoon, like you said, I mean, you got you got an 80% chance to kill that bird. Yeah, we need to listen to you more. How many turkeys have you killed um that they came in within range while you were sleeping and then you woke up oh this is just
2: this is just two three years ago um sitting with my son and uh he actually missed one the day before with the crossbow and it was one of those we we broke for lunch and we came back and we're like we're gonna get back in there and as soon as we sat down nothing about 20 30 minutes later we're calling calling boom we get one fired up I'm like okay let it go waited 30 minutes didn't come in Called again he ended up cutting us off never came in and we probably waited 20 30 minutes it was probably only 10 but it seemed like forever so i, I just went ahead and laid down right right in front of, front of the blind my son's got the camera i said hey we'll just rest a little bit you know we'll get up and <laughs> just a lot of times i've been woken up from a bird yeah well, for
0: sure they're good alarm clock
2: yeah no they'll just sound off and my son you know he's and here's another reason on why sometimes you can get away with stuff with those decoys. You know, my son's tapping me. he's like, Dad, dad, there's a, there's a bird. And I look up and I'm actually looking at the bird and I don't have a strutter out there. And I'm looking at this bird standing because you've seen them. They almost look fake. They can stand so still. There he is, feet from the blind, literally just looking at the decoys. And we're sitting there like, are, are you kidding me? And my son is talking in a normal voice. He's like, Dad, look. And he's, he's getting all nervous. He's trying to get the gun and everything. We ended up killing the bird. But sure enough, I mean, it's, that's just when it happened with him. That's not the other four billion times that it's happened to just by myself, which has happened plenty of times. <laughs> just, they will slip in on you when, when you don't expect it. And a lot of times, if you're facing somewhere, and keep this in mind, if you got a bird and you're out in the, in the pasture, open ground, alfalfa field, whatever the case may be, you may get birds to come straight across. That's always wonderful, you know, but they put on a great show. But I can't tell you how many birds I have listened, and they're they're calling. Five minutes later, they're calling. They're getting mad because you're not calling back. So about every two, three times he would call I can hear him get closer. Well, he's starting to go down to the left or he's starting to go to the right. They will literally come from behind and then come out that way. So just because you're you're calling a bird that you can hear him 80, 90 yards in front of you, that does not mean that that same bird is not going to slip out on the 180 degrees from the other side oh, yeah, and they so. literally will come around and as quiet as anything And that's the one thing too that you know you gotta I, I believe that when people say that they can see good too but you know you go out that's the one good thing about turkey hunting is it keeps you in the game because you go ahead and you call and you hear a turkey well that makes you want to stay longer you know if we were in the woods and we can go ahead and blow our grunt call and 150 inch
1: deer said hey i'm over here you're gonna stay all day <laughs> you yeah. know what i'm saying Just
0: oh yeah no one is out there that's the fun part and it's such that turkey hunt is
2: such a great way to introduce not only children but new people into the outdoors that it, when you do call to them a lot of times they come i mean I, I think that's why a lot of people kill them without decoys i mean they truly i don't know it's a while back i heard it that they said that they can pretty much pinpoint, and I do believe this, I don't know for sure, but I've I've experienced it a little bit, where I think they can pinpoint you to within three yards. From, you know, a gentleman was saying it back years ago that if you can get a bird to respond to you within a couple hundred yards, he realistically could pinpoint where you're at within three yards. And (laughs) if you look when they come slipping up on you, it's like, well, there's no way you can see the decoy from behind me so how the heck did he end up coming right to the blind you know
0: so oh that's that yeah, for sure and that that's another reason decoys are nice because it takes their attention away from you yeah, just, they just assume that some, they had moved a little bit
2: so yeah I think you definitely got a soul jacked up now I, I can't wait for this spring so that, <laughs> that, that's for sure that's one of my favorite times of the year ultimately I mean whitetail is definitely my <clears throat> my you know biggest thing that my Biggest passion as far as pursuing, but there, there's just something about turkey hunting. It, it's more than just breaking the time between whitetail season. I mean, it's it's to me, it's like opening morning. You know, every day when you get out there with turkey hunting, that's the great thing about it. You hear them fire up, and you feel like you're in the game. When sometimes during deer hunting, I, I think we get lots of laxative. You know, we're four or five days into a you know October lull or whatever, and you're thinking, man, there's no deer around here. But you know, if it wasn't for cameras, you wouldn't even be out there. Well, with turkey <laughs> hunting, it's every day can be action, you know, and that's you know that's what keeps
0: people going. It's what keeps people hooked into the outdoors. So that's a it's definitely it's one of our favorite things to do too. And we're looking forward to talking again. We're definitely gonna have you back on here if you if you if you want to for white our white tail Absolutely. session. Absolutely, I would love to.
2: I I could, I could talk talk outdoors hunting forever. It's just it's a passion that I think we. Uh, myself and you guys both share. And uh, I would love
0: to be back on the show anytime you guys reach out to me. It's been awesome. Yeah, well, we appreciate everything about you. So where can people find you? Is there anything that people should be, websites they should be going to, products um, they should be buying? Uh, as far as, you know, to
2: find me, um, I am. you can get on uh, Instagram. It's uh, Sean Lundy, uh Drury Outdoors. And uh, a lot of time on there we'll be uh, talking about the different products uh, some new things that our sponsors are coming out with as far as the what tips, you know, just, just today. I um, actually, sorry, it was yesterday. We just put a tip that a couple of guys from Analogic did on hinge cutting and you know the, the different ways that we're doing it. So, it's a, and as well as most of the other guys on the team are also on the uh, Instagram as well as Facebook. So,
0: right, okay, so yeah, go to find them on social media pretty easy. Um, a random yeah, thought I for mean, you quick, quick answer right, from. Quick answer from you, if you had your last meal ever on Earth tomorrow, what would it be? Oh
2: man, I... corned <laughs> beef
1: and cabbage. Corned beef.
0: <laughs> oh, man, that's a that's a that's honestly, one I left field. Yeah, I
1: can honestly say I've uh, never that's had that's I left that. field. See, that's good. Yeah, you said it. corned beef and cabbage. It
0: has to be. Wow, is that like a New York thing or? <laughs> that, that's a uh, Well, I, I'm Irish, so yeah. That's oh, Irish. Okay. okay. When I, when I got married, you know, and
2: um, that was the one thing I, my wife, she's like, what's your, your favorite meals to eat? It's, I'll be honest, it, it's corned beef and cabbage and chicken parmesan. So, it, but to me, <laughs> corned beef and cabbage, because it's, for anybody out there that's had a budget, it,
0: it's not the easiest thing to make. And my wife, she's got it down pat now, so I got to give her props for that. Yeah. Well, you married you know, her for a reason.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right, she can cook, so that's,
0: <laughs> that's a good thing, so. All right. Well, that's awesome, man. We really appreciate you coming on here. Um, and obviously, hopefully, all our listeners look forward to hearing you again because we will definitely have you back on this.
2: Absolutely. Any time, just uh, give me a heads up. I'd, I'd love to
0: be back on the show. All right, Sean. Thanks a lot. Thank you. You got it.